I'm Darius McDermott, Managing Director of Fund Calibre, and today I'm here with Jason Pidcock for the next episode of the Investing on the Go podcast. Jason, good morning. Hi, Darius. Um, now, you've been running Asian income funds for a long time, broadly Asian equities for, for a period of time before that. Yet, I don't suppose we would automatically think of Australia as a an Asian economy, but it's certainly very much part of um, your benchmark, but, but your fertile hunting ground for Asian income stocks. Tell us tell us why that is. It, it certainly is. It is tied into the Asian growth story. Lots of Australian consumers sell to, lots of Australian companies sell to uh, Asian consumers, whether it's goods or services. So a lot of um, tourists visit Australia. Of course, there's the commodity industry, uh, but many others as well. Australia has well-managed companies that have high dividend yields. Corporate governance is generally good. And I think country risk is, is low. Political risk is, is low. So uh, I like Australia very much. I see it as a, almost a small version of the US. Yeah, I suppose that sort of maturer market and higher dividends must be attractive. It is, yes. So it, it is fairly mature, but there are still up-and-coming companies. Um, most of them are professionally managed. There are very few state-owned enterprises in Australia. Um, it is a growing economy by developed world standards. The population is growing, and it, uh, it's growing partly because of skilled and wealthy immigrants. Um, so I, we can tap into the domestic consumption growth in Australia as well as playing uh, Asian growth. So just sticking with sort of stocks or sectors, because uh, we're right in the middle of the early parts of the coronavirus, which I'd like to come to maybe a little bit later and, and discuss how you think might, that might impact China. But just other areas um, which you've invested in, uh, like casinos, have always been a, a, a decent waiting since you've been across here at Jupiter. Um, what, what, what's attractive to them as businesses? Well, <clears throat> over the medium and long term, I, I like the industry because it, of course, has very high barriers to entry. And I see casino operators almost as niche property companies, but charging very high rents for people to, to spend to time, spend time there, yes. whether it's in a hotel room or in a restaurant, in a conference and exhibition area, or of course at the casino table. Um, so I, I, it is a way to play the tourism story in Asia. Clearly right now there are challenges, and just uh, today the Macau government has said casinos in Macau have to shut for the next 15 days. Um, but I think this was, uh, to an extent, something like this was expected. So it hasn't hit the share prices that hard today. They did come off full immediately after the announcement. Of course, they'd already been quite weak yes, last, last week. Um, but but I think this, this will pass and, and then pent-up demand will mean that the growth in the future will, will, will be higher than it would otherwise have been. But generally, the companies we're investing in and have casino operators in Macau, Singapore and Australia do have strong balance sheets, um, do have growth angles to them in terms of development uh, growth, um, and in the meantime have attracted dividend yields. Uh, maybe now is exactly the right time then to talk about the coronavirus because I, I don't suppose hey, I don't suppose it's going, any, going away any time in the next couple of weeks and likely to have impact, particularly obviously in China, but associated neighbouring markets like the casinos. Do you think this is going to be as bad as SARS, worse than SARS, big hit to GDP? How do you see it playing out, given that it is still quite early? Well, from an economic point of view, definitely worse than SARS, no, no question. And, and that's because China's economy is so much bigger now, uh, and consumption as a part of that economy is, is bigger. Uh, the way that the government has tried to clamp down 
uh, and to contain this virus is, whilst it's probably the right thing to do from a health point of view, is very destructive for the economy. So there's no question the first quarter GDP growth in China will be hit very hard, and I suspect the first half will be hit uh, very hard. We don't know when the um, number of new cases will start rolling over and declining. Um, and for the moment, cases and deaths are still going up fairly steadily on a daily basis. Markets always, of course, react early on. Yeah. Uh, and so there's just because the number of cases continues to go up doesn't mean markets will keep falling. So uh, and today we've seen a, you know, a fairly significant rebound in a number of Asian markets as some investors think that some prices have fallen too, too far. far yeah. So I'm not going to make any short-term predictions, but history suggests that viruses like this do become contained eventually, uh, and then the, the economic impacts don't linger for that long as um, repressed demand plays catch-up. And, and I know we touched briefly on casinos and tourism. Um, any other sectors that you just, again, not wanting to short-term need, uh, was anything that's maybe become cheaper that you think, oh, that's now come under my sort of price target? Or, you know, I, I know markets do overreact and they go first. Is there anything that's become either more attractive or you become concerned about in the last sort of 10 days, two weeks? Yes, well, the, the stocks that we own that have been affected the most have been the casino operators. Right. Like last week, I did actually top up some Sands China because that, that had been the, the share price that had been impacted the most. And I already, by, by last week, I felt that, that the share price had fallen too much if we take a long-term view on the outlook for this business. We are looking at other consumer goods companies, which is a sector that we're underweight, um, but not that the ones that we're following haven't become cheap enough yet to buy into. So for the moment, I'm not doing, there isn't much trading activity or buying or selling. Um, and, and I'm willing to look through this and take the view that the stocks we own in the portfolio will be robust enough to, to get through this and, yeah. and, and indeed other shocks were they to materialise. Commodities have been hit very hard. Uh, but I'm not not a big area for you. Is it? No, I'm not interested in adding to the mining sector or buying into the the oil sector. Uh, we always like to have a stock example, if you can. Um, listeners to the Investing on the Go podcast like to just a stock they maybe have heard of or, or that they might be familiar with. Um, but obviously, in your instance, it's one that's got a dividend or at least a growing dividend. Um, what, what example can you offer us today? Well, uh, an example of a company that's growing its dividend fairly steadily, uh, even though the yield today is quite low, would be AIA, which is a regional life assurance business. So it's spun out of the Prudential, didn't it? Well, no, it's split. Spun out of um, AIG. Right. Sorry. Yeah, AIG of of America. They they listed it in Hong Kong, but it is very similar to Prudential, and and they do compete, and there are many markets where in Asia where one will be the number one position and the other will be the number two. You may remember Prudential bid for AIA, uh, but, but, but that didn't go through. So AIA's yield today is about 1.7%, one of my lower yielding stocks, but dividend growth in the last three years has averaged about 20% a year, uh, and we think it should be double digit for the next, uh, for the next three years. So uh, a nice growth uh, in dividend story. And you've talked a bit about 
airports, another area that you had historically invested in and sort of, I think you were quoted as saying, as flying is the new smoking. Um, tell us a little bit more about your views on that and why the investment thesis has subsequently changed. Yes, I think because flying is much more discretionary than other uses of burning fuel. You know, a lot, a lot of flights don't have to be taken, whereas a lot of fuel that's burnt um, almost has to happen for economies to continue functioning, i.e. Uh, industrial transportation or factories uh, emitting fumes, so it's harder for them to, to, to make changes. But young people, it does seem, um, are willing to fly less in order to go away on holiday or go travel for other reasons. Greta Thunberg is, is campaigning for people to think much more uh, about um, activities that, that, that burn fuel unnecessarily. Um, so I do think the aviation sector is vulnerable to consumption patterns changing, but also government regulation changing, i.e. governments increasing taxation because they see the aviation sector as a soft target for raising revenues and then uh, using the environment as an excuse. So they would paint these as green taxes. Uh, and, and, you know, we might see taxes on flights going up on a regular basis as they used to do with on, on tobacco. tobacco. Yeah. Um, I see in your presentation that you're actually overweight tech sector. This is quite unusual for an income manager. Certainly the global income funds that would have the US as a, a big part of their benchmark because the tech stocks don't pay. Tell us a little bit about the tech opportunity in, in Asia with there's income. Some, well, there's some great tech opportunities in Asia, particularly in Northeast Asia. So we have world-class companies that can be found in South Korea, Taiwan, and other countries. These, these are very large, very liquid, strong balance sheets. Most of them, and indeed all those that we invest in, have a net cash position. So very strong balance sheets um, and, and decent dividend yields. So TSMC in Taiwan, it, it is the world leader in semiconductor foundry space, Samsung Electronics is a leader in, in, in chips and in other areas, uh, spends a huge amount of research and development, has got about $78 billion net cash and has been increasing its dividend uh, fairly steadily over the last four years. Um, Hon Hai is the world's largest contract manufacturer. Uh, half of their revenues come from Apple, but they have uh, a huge uh, client list. Um, and MediaTek is exceptionally good in chip design. So we, we like the tech sector. It's something that Asia excels at. It is a growth area, um, but we can find uh, decent dividend yields for now, and we expect dividend growth going forward. Jason, that's really interesting. Thank you very much. For more information on the Investing on the Go podcast, please visit fundcaliber.com. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.